Did Pablo Escobar cause a bunch of hippos to terrorize Colombia almost 30 years after his death? The internet says it's true. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True. This is a show where every week we learn something that maybe sounds made up, but is really true. Part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. Welcome back. Let's learn something new. Coming up later in the show, we'll be talking with comedian and political commentator John Fugelsang, host of the John Fugelsang podcast and Tell Me Everything on Sirius XM. If you're a Patreon listener, you may have noticed that episodes are now available one week early for those folks. So you get to hear next week's episode now, which features celebrity guest Hal Sparks. You can listen to that right now. It's up on the website. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash Michael Kent to listen to that episode and to see the full video of my time with Hal. You can do that every week. Once again, to get access, that's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. You can do that for as little as $1 a month. Hey, Michael, it's Mitch from Dublin, Ohio. Hey, I recently read about Columbia's cocaine hippos. I think you should check that out and do an episode on that one. Thanks. Immediately when I heard this, I got really excited for a story about cocaine-fueled hippos. Uh, That's not what this is. This is a story about hippos that have a nickname cocaine hippos because, well, everything about the Pablo Escobar story has to do with cocaine. For this one, we've got to travel to the Magdalena River Basin in the heart of Colombia. There's a spot about three hours' drive from the city of Medellin, known as Hacienda Napoles. These days, there's a small water park and zoo, but if you look around, you'll see the foundations of demolished buildings. Those buildings in the small town of Puerto Triunfo, demolished almost 30 years ago, used to be the grand palace of the famed Colombian cocaine kingpin, Pablo Escobar. At the height of his operation, Pablo Escobar had everything. His net worth was $30 billion, equivalent to around twice that in today's money. He was the world's richest man in 1989, and his cocaine cartel was earning him $420 million a week at its peak. He owned 141 houses, 142 airplanes, 20 helicopters, 32 yachts, and to this day, he's sort of seen as both a villain and a hero. The reason that he leaves a complicated legacy is that to many people, he ran a drug cartel that devastated several nations in their effort to combat drug crime and the crimes associated with it. He supplied 85% of the cocaine that the world was consuming. His reign killed over 4,000 civilians, 1,000 police officers, 200 judges, and included unspeakable violence, including the purposeful bombing of Avianca Flight 203, which killed over 100 innocent people. I really want to make sure I'm not making light of the horrible effects of Escobar and the Medellin drug cartel. The reason that he's seen as a hero in Colombia, specifically to poorer members of society, is that when you're that powerful in an impoverished area that's riddled with corruption, you're the one supplying the money, houses, and jobs to the community. For people who were in Medellin in the 80s and 90s, they remember a Pablo Escobar that provided the community with thousands of houses, a city sanitation system, parks, soccer fields, schools, cars, and buses. Due to the fact that he had so much money, his riches truly did trickle down to the economy of Medellin. That's why, in addition to a water park and zoo, the tourist attraction at Hacienda Napolis includes a Pablo Escobar museum, 
It showcases some of the vehicles, cars, and airplanes that he owned, as well as some of the burned ruins of his house. People revere him and wonder at the memory of his legacy, even though Escobar was a man that caused severe pain and anguish throughout Colombia, Mexico, and the United States. A man like Escobar could have whatever he wanted, and at one point in the late 1970s, what he wanted were four hippos. Let's talk about hippos for a minute. Hippos have a formidable reputation. Across Africa, they kill around 500 people every year. There's only one part of the world where the hippopotamus lives in its natural habitat, Sub-Saharan Africa. It's up there with the elephant and the rhinoceros as one of the top three largest land animals, weighing in at over 3,000 pounds fully grown. Despite their giant size, they can run up to 30 miles an hour on land and are one of the deadliest land animals. Back in their home region of Africa, hippos kill 500 people a year. They don't have too many predators in the animal kingdom, and they're constantly facing threats from humans, including poachers and the effects of the war in the Congo. This has given the African hippopotamus a vulnerable status from the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. And because they are so freaking rare, you can't just buy hippos because you want to see them roaming around your house. That is, unless your name is Pablo Escobar and you're the richest drug trafficker in history. We'll have more after a quick break from some sponsors. I have a special announcement for all my female listeners. Are you a woman podcaster looking to take your show to the next level? If the answer is yes, then you need to come to She Podcasts Live this October. You'll be able to learn from some of the best female podcasters in the world and get insider tips on how to make your podcast even better. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, this event is for you. Not only will you be able to learn tons of new information, but you'll also be able to network with other amazing podcasters. This is a great opportunity for anyone who wants to take their podcasting skills to the next level. Additionally, She Podcasts Live is committed to bringing a diverse and inclusive lineup, and their team works very hard to make sure those chosen are 50% women of color, LGBTQIA+, or both. They also highlight industry experts and leaders in the space, so attendees are exposed to the women at the top. Register now. You don't want to miss this event in D.C. Go to ShePodcastsLive.com and enter promo code TIZIT, T-I-S-I-T, to get $50 off your registration. I've been traveling again lately, and that means I've been wearing my Scotty Vest jacket, which is awesome for anyone who sort of lives life on the go like I do. It's been awesome for traveling around because it's got tons of pockets for all my gadgets, my phone, my glasses, my wallet, my charging cord, you name it. It's a clothing company I believe in, and I'm confident they've got an article of clothing that you'll love. The best thing you can do is take a look at all the awesome pocket-packed clothing on their website. To get 15% off your order, visit the link in the show notes. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing bombs, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. 
A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. Let's get back to the show. It started with just four hippos. He had a dream of having the biggest private zoo in the world, so Pablo Escobar illegally smuggled three females and one male hippopotamus from Africa to his ranch at Hacienda Napolis. This initial bloat of hippos was allowed to graze on his Puerto Triunfo property. He showed them off to friends and was proud of the hippos. I mentioned a little bit earlier about how influential and powerful Pablo Escobar was. It was because of his influence and political connections that when he was arrested for a five-year prison term in 1991, he was allowed to build his own self-built prison, La Catedral, which was basically just another home. And even then, he couldn't stand to be in prison and escaped from the home. Two years later, Pablo Escobar was found and killed in a shootout with the National Police of Colombia. At this point, the government of Colombia seized and or destroyed a lot of Escobar's property. The planes, the cars, the houses. But when it came to the hippos, they simply didn't have any way of handling them. The hippos roamed free and couldn't be rounded up. They were left on his Hacienda Napolis estate. These days, if you visit Hacienda Napolis, you'll drive through a big white gate with an airplane on top of it. It's a replica of the airplane Escobar used to smuggle his first shipments of cocaine. There are water park slides, a small zoo, and a couple small museums and attractions. Gone are the private airport, the mansion, the many buildings, the racetrack, the brothel, the tennis courts, but not the spirit of Pablo Escobar, like the giant dinosaur sculptures he had constructed for his son. His burned-out car collection is still there for all to see, and while most of his zoo animals were sent to other zoos in and out of Colombia, the hippos still roam free. One of them, named Vanessa, even answers to her name. By 2007, the four original hippos had grown to a pod of 16. By 2014, locals were counting as many as 40 hippos. And now in 2022, it's suspected that the Magdalena River Basin is home to more than 100 hippos, all roaming free in a land where they have no predators and where the climate and food sources are perfect for them to thrive. The Magdalena River is slow moving, which is ideal for them, and the region never experiences droughts, which is one of the factors that curb hippo populations in Africa. They seem to have evolved to mostly be more tame than their African counterparts, though there have been a few dangerous encounters. These Colombian hippos are also reaching sexual maturity at an earlier age than in their natural African habitat. A normal hippo starts giving birth around 9 to 11 years old, but the offspring of Escobar's hippos are as active as young as three. It's not all sunshine and rainbows for these hippos. They're still incredibly dangerous animals, and they're spreading further and further away from the Hacienda Napolis estate. Some have been found 155 miles from Puerto Triunfo. Fishermen in the Magdalena River are justifiably terrified of them. Ranchers and farmers have had run-ins with them as they eat valuable crops and have even trampled small cows. In 2020, one hippo ran down and injured a farmer, but to this day, they've not killed any people. The question of what to do with Colombia's hippos is a constant source of debate within the country. When authorities killed one of the hippos in 2009, the public became upset. 
Some see the small population of thriving hippos as a sort of conservation of a species that's vulnerable back in Africa. Others see it as an extension of Escobar's legacy. But Colombian authorities are concerned with the population, which they say could pose a threat to the region's natural biodiversity. Their hope is to castrate the male hippos of the bloat. They argue that the giant animals could possibly carry disease and are seen as an invasive species. If unchecked, the hippo population in Colombia will grow to 400 in the next eight years. By 2035, that number will be 1,500. 1,500 hippos in Colombia. It will be at that point, they say, that tragic interactions between Colombian citizens and hippos will be unavoidable. In 2021, an American court determined that Colombian hippos could be given legal status as people. But this obviously has zero bearing on what happens in Colombia. As of right now, no definite plan has been agreed upon, and no one is quite sure what to do with Colombia's cocaine hippos. So they remain, wandering the Magdalena River Basin and reminding everyone of the infamous drug kingpin who introduced them. It is time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend. Today, we are going to talk with John Fugelsang. John is a comedian and political commentator. You can hear him as the host of the John Fugelsang podcast and on Tell Me Everything, Monday through Friday on Sirius XM. John Fugelsang, it's so good to see you again. Nice to see you, Michael. Thanks for having me. I had you on my my joke story trick show, which was like a web show that I did last year. It was a lot of fun. You told a story, uh, um, but I I believe you told your David Duke story. Uh, from, uh, yes. from the Bill Maher show. I have looked all over for this footage and I can't find that episode anywhere because it was back yeah. in like 99 or something. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. It was in 2000 or 2001. It was, it was, was it? when Bill was still doing the show every night on ABC and uh, it was plenty ugly. But yeah. <laughs> um, uh, someday, someday I'll, I'll ask for a copy of it from his people. But uh, my my proudest moment when I offered hot gay sex to a Nazi Klansman to make him stop. It's such an amazing story. And you can you can actually hear John tell that story on uh, Joke Story Trick, which is all of the old back episodes of Joke Story Trick are available to Patreon members. But uh, I have you on here. You don't know what the topic is. And that's a little scary for someone to come on a show completely unprepared. But that's the way it is for everyone. That's like what we try to do is just the the topic of this of my podcast. The theme is these are things that sound fake, but are absolutely true. Uh, and okay. every week I cover one of those topics. And so this week it's about I'm going to ask you this first question and it might come. It might be a story that you're very familiar with. It might be something you've never heard of before, but okay. we're going to play for a joke. So for the first question, if you get it right, I have to tell you a joke. And if you get it wrong, you'll tell me one. Oh, Sound I had good? no idea. I would have I would have listened to my blue collar comedy tour tapes and had some jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I did not prepare a joke. That's why I have a whole bunch of old joke books on the shelf behind me because if you do get this question right i'm gonna have you tell me a page and we're gonna just pick a random joke oh assuming my. that it's not racist sexist misogynist you know one of these now i'm things. completely terrified great <laughs> that's i know i didn't mean to bring you on and terrify you john uh <laughs> here is the question colombia is facing a strange problem as a result of pablo escobar's reign as a cocaine kingpin almost 30 years ago which one of these is that problem is it a, a herd of over 100 hippos wreaking havoc on the local population. B, a riverbed leaching cocaine into the water supply of nearby towns. Or C, 
cocaine is still being found hidden inside of used cars 30 years later. That would be C. Cocaine is still being found inside of used cars. You said that like you were so sure. Mm -hmm. Um, The answer, John, is A, a herd of over 100 hippos wreaking havoc on the local population. But you said that with such uh, a convincing tone that now I'm wondering if this is maybe a story that I made that I thought I made this up. But it's something you've heard about. Or was that just no, amazing? that's just I, I, I very boldly go for a wrong answer. That's it's good. how I did the SATs it was my entire studying approach. <laughs> it's good. So Pablo Escobar smuggled illegally four hippos in in the late 70s. And those hippos have been allowed to roam on his former property and are now thriving. And there are over 100 of them. And they don't know what to do about this. Because hippos can be very dangerous in Africa. In Colombia, they haven't killed anyone yet, but they're like, if they keep growing, they're going to. They, you finally found a topic that Narcos didn't have a budget to give an episode to, I That's, guess. No, I was amazed that they didn't. When I heard this, I was like, this should have been an episode of Narcos. Why didn't uh, Narcos have the hippos episode, for God's sakes? Yeah, maybe the, the animatronic hippos were too expensive. I have no idea. I, I, I really don't know. But uh, yeah, there, there were only four of them at that point. And they think that if they're led, left unchecked, by 2035, they're going to be 1,500 of these hippos. And uh, right now, like, so, you know, the thing with Pablo Escobar in Colombia is that he's sort of revered at the same time that he is hated because he supplied so much wealth to the poor communities back when you know, it was a corrupt nation. And, um, and so they don't want to get rid of the hippos because they sort of see that as the legacy of this hero of theirs. It's a crazy story. There have been a I couple of documentaries on it. popular with the people, but I guess who's who's feeding these hippos? Who's maintaining them? Who's paying for their upkeep? They're 100% self-sustaining in nature now. So the wow. Magdalena River, sort, which is sort of like sort of like the drug war. It is. Yeah, it's it's sort of left on its own. You know, now there's not this kingpin running it. And the hippos are, are thriving because that's apparently the Magdalena River is like a slow moving river, which is great for them. And they're eating crops. Um, which, you know, the farmers don't like, obviously, but, uh, they don't have any predators in Colombia and there, this river never, there's no drought, which is what kills hippos in Africa, apparently. Wow. It's a, yeah, absolutely crazy story. So do you have a, do you have a joke, quick joke? Uh, sure. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Kid Rock might be running for the governor of Michigan. Um, this is very scary to some people, but Kid Rock. My generation's Leonard Cohen might <laughs> run for governor of Michigan. And if this happens, I just want to promise all your listeners, I will run against him. I will run against him after changing my name to Kid Paper. Oh, that is my please, pledge. Please, please tell me that that would, oh, if that actually happened. Yeah. Uh, There's also a Kid Scissors, but I, I won't run with him. No. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's solid. I wasn't expecting actual material there. I'm I'm very impressed. I wasn't expecting to have to tell a joke. So <laughs> I told you there was no prep. Um, uh, I, your but, listeners are still waiting for the funny part, so it's all we're all tied here. I'm laughing. That's that's the most important part. Uh, so for this question, this next question, we're gonna play instead of like an admission of guilt, we're gonna play for an admission of something that we do well. So if you get it wrong, you've got to tell us something you're good at. If you get it right, I'll tell you something I'm good at. Fair. Here's your question. When Pablo Escobar was hiding from authorities, what did he reportedly do to keep his family warm? A, he cut open a hippo like a tauntaun and climbed inside. B, 
he literally burned $2 million in cash, or C, he gave them cocaine and told them to keep moving? I know this for a fact. He burned cash. You are correct. His daughter fell ill while they were in hiding, and he was rumored to have started a bonfire using the cash they were traveling with, burning as much as $2 million. Now, that I believe they did do in Narcos. Uh, oh, yes. I think, they told I think that the child too. said it costs a fortune to heat this place. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. That counts for your, your first joke, if you want. If, the, if, the, if they didn't like the first one, they get the second one. Uh, yeah. Actually, I found an article from The Sun, from Pablo Escobar's son, who is featured in Narcos, who said that that never happened, that they never burned the money. But, hmm. you know, when the uh, legend is cooler than the fact, print the legend. So right on. I think I was I was on your IMDb and I was looking for when that David Duke um, episode of Politically Incorrect happened. And I saw that you had interviewed George Harrison and um, Ravi Shankar way back when. And I went and I watched it. And oh. I am amazed at this point. I mean, I've always been, you know, a fan of yours, but I'm like, now I'm gushing because holy crap, you, there are some amazing quotes from George Harrison in this thing. How did that come about? You had, you had worked with VH1 prior to that. I had. And, it, and I was actually on my way that day to go fly to London to do a live TV special with Paul McCartney. What? And uh, yeah, I was doing a live special, like international live special from Bishop's Gate in London with Paul. And they called me up and said, hey, we're going to need you to leave a day later because we need you in New York. And I'm like, oh, damn it. Why? I've never been to London. They said, well, we need you here with George Harrison and <laughs> uh, and Ravi Shankar. And I mean, I and I I love all four Beatles. I don't think you can really truly be a Beatles fan without being deep into their solo careers. And uh, George, the red meant a lot to me. My, my parents were ex-Catholic clergy. And so like George, I had grown up. Uh, quite Catholic. And like George, I had tried to deepen my spiritual world beyond that. And he was a big figure to me, uh, spiritually and creatively and musically. Uh, the first solo Beatle record I ever got as a teenager was his Cloud Nine album with Jeff Lynne. That's what kind of got me into him in the first place. Before I knew My Sweet Lord, I, I knew Got My Mind Set on You. I was kind of a late bloomer. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so he came in with Ravi. And it's a long, long story. They were only supposed to be there for about 10 minutes. Um, we were going to get our sound bite and let them go. And uh, in the beginning, there was nobody there. It was very empty. And I knew if I talked about the Beatles, he'd get up and leave. He didn't like doing that. Um, so I talked about God and the soul and what happens when you die and meditation. And he must have liked the fact that I was the worst interviewer of all time because he hung in there and he eventually stayed for four hours. Um, I gave him I gave him a guitar that belonged to the girlfriend of one of our crew members, and he played four songs. Oh my god! Uh, Robbie had a sitar. We were not planning on live music, but they 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 played, and uh, he played four things he had never played live before, and he hadn't toured in America since the seventies. Wow! In over twenty years. So it, it, by the end, time it was over, the room was filled. Uh, the editor of Billboard was there, and uh, Rick Rubin was there. Tom Petty's daughter was there because she's uh, she was our intern at the time. And um, she's gone on to be a great figure in the music industry in her own right. Adria Petty. Yeah. And uh, and George's son, Donnie, was there. And, um, you know, they, they put it out as a special, uh, a 30 minute special that nobody watched. And the whole time I was talking to him, they kept saying in my ear, stop talking about God and death. Talk about John Lennon. But I knew he wouldn't want to do that. So 
couple of years, right after this, George was diagnosed and he got sick. And I was up in Montreal at the comedy festival and they called me and said, uh, we want to recut this thing. Uh, would you fly down to New York? And I, I did. And um, they put all the spirituality back in the special. So on the day George died, they aired so much footage that had never been seen before. And it was George and this 25 year old kid talking about death and what happens when you die and God and the soul. And uh, to this day, I'll have guys walk up to me and hug me and say that it's rare they see anything so spiritual on TV. And it was a nice lesson in, you know, sometimes when you think you're doing something all wrong, it might take a few years to realize that you were making the right call. And I, I learned a lot from that experience. And I continue to learn a lot from him uh, from that day. Absolutely incredible. Now, did you then fly to London the next day and meet with Paul? Oh yeah. I have pictures what, of me. What did Paul uh, say George? about what you had just done with George? Oh, well, uh, we, we went straight from the studio to, to the airport and I got on the red eye. I have a picture of me and my uncle in Ipswich the next morning and I'm wearing the same clothes I'm wearing with George <laughs> and the studio pictures. It was disgusting. Uh, you know, Paul's people thought, I mean, Paul just said, oh, he'll talk to you, but he won't talk to me. Oh, and wow. um, they thought that was kind of uh, funny. Um, and his his people were kind of shocked that George would play four songs with me and do yeah. all that because their relationship was what it was. They mm -hmm. loved each other very much, but it didn't always go that smoothly. Wow. That's an incredible yeah. story behind the story. I appreciate that, that you sharing that with us. By the way, I just saw Paul close his tour the other night here. Uh, in, in Jersey. And uh, he, he turns 80 today, the day we're taping this. Today's his 80th birthday. Wow. And this was two nights ago. And it's one of the best shows I ever saw him give. He was amazing. I Now, on, on your most recent podcast, you talked about this fact that is it's kind of amazing. The band he's playing with now is the the longest band that he's had, the longest group that he's had together by far, far in his career. By far. People forget the Beatles only toured with Ringo for four years. Yeah. I mean, Ringo joined the band in 62 and they stopped touring in 66 and wings famously had a constantly evolving lineup paul and linda were the only constants paul began touring as a solo artist in 89 and he's had this band since 2001 2002 and 20 years by far sure. the longest touring ensemble he's ever held together so they're great springsteen came out and played with them at the show the other night for a couple of songs and uh, I, he's 80, and I think he's going to keep on doing it for years to come. He's so solid. He doesn't uh, sound or look 80 at all. Uh, it's well, pretty being a, a very healthy vegetarian billionaire can do wonders for your ability. <laughs> right. right. I got to try it. Right. So uh, for question three, we're playing for a coveted sticker. Uh, it's oh my. an internet says it's true sticker. It's, you know, it's a low budget show. Uh, which one of these was not an official nickname for Pablo Escobar. So I'm going to list three. One of them was his, was not an actual nickname. A, El Patron. Mm -hmm. B, Robin Hood. Or mm -hmm. C, Don Jr. Well, Robin Hood, El Patron, I'm sure they called him that. Robin Hood being in English makes me think maybe not. Although maybe, maybe the... CIA called him that. Uh, Don Jr. seems so weird that I'm going to go with that one. The answer is Don Jr. It was that it was oh. they have a lot in common, I think, uh, Pablo Escobar and Don Jr. But uh, they did not call him Don Jr. Uh, he was known as Robin Hood. He was known as El Patron. He was now known as uh, a few other things, but but not Don yeah. Jr. Uh, they, uh, yeah, they have a lot in common, except uh, Pablo Escobar worked a lot harder. And uh, I think maybe Don Jr., 
bought more of what Pablo sold. I don't think yeah, Pablo was a customer. Too much. I think, uh, yeah, the fact that Pablo Escobar built something from the ground up is is definitely yes. Well, in fairness, when Don Jr. shows up for his first day in prison, it'll be the first time in his life he's ever gotten anywhere all on his own. <laughs> Don't we hope the, the night before the January 6th hearings began, I, I was just feeling very pessimistic and I was feeling like this isn't going to do anything. This isn't going to help. I had watched, you know, everything that that had been done you know, up to that point. And then I watched those first hearings on prime time. I said I wasn't going to watch it and then I watched it. And I've watched all three and I'm filled with hope now. I'm filled with hope. The fact that I don't care care if he goes to jail for the past. I'm more worried about the future. I'm more worried about the the effective fascist who can pull it off, who's not a narcissist reality show racist clown, but who's smooth enough to pull off that kind of theft. Uh, I, I don't need to see Trump go to jail. I don't need to see if Orange clashes with Orange. I, I feel like he's he's going to be shoveling money to defense attorneys for the rest of his life. He's already in penance. I'd love to see him run for president again because we've never, ever in the history of this country seen a man lose the popular vote three times. And Trump's the only guy that with a shot to do it. So, uh, you know, I, I to me, whatever happens to him doesn't matter. I don't want him to suffer. I want three ghosts to visit him on Christmas Eve and turn him into a good person. That's where <laughs> I'm. <laughs> they say the only thing worse than charging Trump would be not charging Trump. They're both horrible outcomes. Um, and- yeah. And I think he's going to be charged in the state of New York. He's going to be charged in the state of Georgia. Uh, I think those are much more likely than federal charges against him because I these are Democrats we're talking about you know I don't they're they're a bit timid when it comes to that sort of thing and I don't think they're going to want to be seen in the history books as uh, as you know uh, being um, punitive I, I think history will show there were two impeachments history will show there were these hearings that we the people tried to stand up against these injustices against these crimes mm-hmm. um but i i i mean maybe merrick garland's made of things i don't know I, I heard he got so mad watching those hearings he almost ripped the tassels off his loafers almost <laughs> but uh you know at the same time merrick garland they prosecuted the unabomber the oklahoma city case there were no leaks and full convictions so maybe he just plays a very long game could be i don't know, but uh, well, what you're talking uh, about with the Democrats is 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 forgiveness, and we're seeing. In no, these no, I'm hearings, not talking about forgiveness at all. No, I'm not talking about forgiveness at all. I'm talking about being tepid. Um, okay, I mean, yeah. So what we're seeing, and and what I'm, forgiveness has to be sought, Michael. I I think that what we're looking at though with these hearings is we're giving credence to these people who did horrible, horrible things because they did the right thing. When during this very important moment, yeah, um, and, and know, so we're looking at Bill Barr, we're looking at you know Bill Steppens, all all these people that did these ho- and continue to do horrible things, yeah, um, and saying, you know, we are lifting you up right now in front of the world, and we want to be seen as people who are treating you as a hero, which is the right move to do, because we need to get people on this on this side of of the argument. I think you can say that Donald Trump has raised the bar on lowering the bar. And I mean, William Barr has covered up more shit than cat litter. You know, people forget after after these statements he made on tape about how it was all bullshit and how it was all lies. And this man has taken leave of his senses. He went and did a book tour and said he would vote for Trump again. Yeah. Uh, Mike Pence, my God, maybe the worst thing Trump ever did is make future history books turn Mike Pence into a hero. (laughs) 
a hundred years from now, they'll be saying brave Mike Pence. And I'm like, no, he was the biggest homophobe of all the governors in America. That's why he got the job. Mike Pence was yeah. horrible. Mike Pence had to, when, when Dan Quayle is saving the Republic, that's how bad, you know, things have gotten. Yeah. Um, Mike Pence tried every way he could to not do the right thing. And finally he knew he had to do the right thing. Um, you know, Mike Pence is all the evil with twice the hypocrisy and half the comedy value. But, uh, and Liz Cheney. I mean, my God, we're all praising Liz Cheney. You know, Liz Cheney is just like Dick Cheney if Dick Cheney told the truth about one thing. That's really it. I mean, <laughs> Dick Cheney killed a million people over a lie. Liz Cheney killed her career over the truth. Wow. So I believe in praising people when they do the right thing. But in fairness, Michael, I mean, you and I don't sign on to help overthrow the U.S. government almost right. every week. It's not that hard to not try to overthrow the government. So really great that these guys didn't commit treason. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I only commit treason like twice, maybe three times a year. So it's, <laughs> it's you know, not that hard to pull off. <laughs> well, let's keep moving on with the uh, with the quiz. And, and it's I, I really like to talk about things that have nothing to do with the quiz in between because well, I don't want to I don't want to spend 20 to 30 minutes talking about hippos. But but I'm on a roll now. I got two out of three of these right, Michael. I'm doing well. So we're do, you're doing very well. And for this question, if you get it wrong, you've got to give us a book recommendation. If you get it right, right, I'll recommend a book. Okay. Which one of these facts is true about hippos? So one of these true. A, they can't swim. B, they have one mate for life. C, their hooves shed naturally. They can't swim. They have one mate for life or their hooves shed naturally. One of those is true. Uh, the only one of those that's true is their hooves shed naturally. Unfortunately, the answer, John, is they can't swim. Hippos are not swimmers. Hippos um, do swim. They what are you don't, talking about? So hippos spend a ton of time in the water. They have to walk on the bottom of the riverbed. So you'll only ever see hippos in shallow water. Uh, the hippos are, are, uh, they, they need the water to cool off. They need the water to, to breed. They lay their babies in the water. Even the hippo babies suckle the mom's teat underwater, but they are not a swimming animal. I'm looking up right now. I, I see hippos, hippo, uh, hippos are graceful in water, good swimmers. Now can hold their breath underwater for up to five minutes. We have to to appeal to the judges. We have to check with the judges on this. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look for for images and, and videos and send I you. See, I'm sure I, I see what you are seeing from National Geographic, and it does not yes. get now the now the next article down from the Atlantic is titled "Hippos Can't Swim." For all intents and purposes, the hippo does not swim, says an assistant okay. professor. You know in the what? Department. The, and the Atlantic the Atlantic was for the Iraq War. You believe everything they say? You trust the Atlantic on hippos? I over, I over am National going to go to our judges. It turns out our judges are defaulting to the National Geographic. They're giving you the point. They say Alexa, the Atlantic. Alexa said no. My, I can't, there's no higher authority in, in my <laughs> world than Alexa. Well, you know what? Now, uh, I see it both ways. I Now that I say this, I did watch a fair amount of hippo documentary before, before writing this episode, and I okay. did see hippos swimming through water, but just like down to get to the bottom and then back up, um, I think that counts as swimming, Michael. I, I think what it is is a definition of what is swimming. And okay. if you can move through the water, I think that's a swim. 
I'm not and, saying they can do the English Channel, sir, but my God, I've seen hippos swim in documentaries myself. And I am inclined to give the debate. Uh, the, the, Henry, the, hang on. I got a 10-year-old. Okay. Henry, come here. I'm, I'm going to have to go to my other judge. This Henry. Is, this is a great judge. Can, can hippos swim? My 10-year-old says they can swim. So that, that beats a that beats Tell Alexa. Henry to ask Alexa. <laughs> He's in the bathroom. He's already mad at He's, me for yelling at him. <laughs> All right. Well, it's we're like, gonna we're oh, gonna give know. it to you just because of the fact that uh, a quick Google result says National Geographic says it's true. Screw the Atlantic. What do I know? Uh, I don't know. There's a David there's... Frum. David Frum wrote the line "Axis of Evil." That's all I'm going to say about that. What Iran and <laughs> Iran and, and and Iraq are in an axis? Okay, Frum. Sure, he's been wrong the, before, sir. At this point, I think it comes down to what you said about what is what constitutes swimming. I, I don't think they could, you know cross the Mississippi, but they can get around okay. Now, I will say, uh, your answer for this was C, they they shed their hooves naturally, and hippos have toes with toenails and no hooves. So, oh. incorrect. Uh, I knew they weren't monogamous. I knew they weren't monogamous. <laughs> hippos but, are some freaks, let me tell you. There's, based- there's, there's a fetish for everybody, and I'll tell you, <laughs> hippos are definitely not monogamous. That's all I want to say about that. <laughs> Well, based on just, you know, my shoddy research, I'm going to give you that point and say that you went uh, three for four so far. It's a tainted point. It's a tainted point. I don't feel right (laughs) taking it, but okay. It's fine. Well, you know what? Out of this, you get a book recommendation, if nothing else. And there's something that I just picked up that was recommended to me by a a local historian. Uh, it's, It's a weird book, but it has something to do with our conversation with January 6th. This is about when Harry Truman was leaving office. It's a, the book is called Harry Truman's Excellent Adventure, The True Story of a Great American Road Trip. So rather than kick and fight and scream and say that he still is the president, he said, see you guys, I'm going on a road trip. No secret service, no nothing. He put his wife in a car and they just went on a, the longest road trip ever. Seeing all these sites, just the two of them, the really? former president, the man who had just left office, dr- drove around America with his wife. And so the author of this book, I'm really excited to get into it. The author of this book replicated the, the road trip and talked about all the places that Harry Truman went. Wow. So really excited. It's a short book, but uh, I just picked it up and, and pretty excited to get into that. I'm glad he and Bess got to have that time together. Yeah. Um, you know, after you've authorized the use of nukes on civilian populations, you got to do something to appreciate the nature. And, and so okay. I'm glad Harry was able to have that time for himself. Um, allow me to recommend the children's book, Hippos Can't Swim by Laura <laughs> Lynn which is a charming book, uh, really well received. Kirkus gives it a great review, I've just learned. So <laughs> Hippos Can't Swim and other fun facts. National Geographic hated it. It got zero stars from National <laughs> Geographic. Well, you, you've done very well. Question five. This one's for all the marbles. If you get this wrong, I'm banning you from the podcast. You'll never be asked on again. Okay. Here's your question. Your music knowledge, super impressive. What is objectively the best album of all time? Oh, man. The best album of all time. I mean, I mean, give me a genre at least. Like Handel's Messiah, Sgt. <laughs> Pepper? Like, what are we talking about? Here? Uh, I, th- I think, personally... If I give you the genre of rock, I think most of the right answers would fall within that. Man. And I could probably even say they would fall between the years of 1960 and 1980, in my I mean, personal opinion. 
I mean, there's, but there's just, there's so many great jazz albums too, you know, I mean, I mean, my God, Dinah Washington Live and Sinatra at the Sands with Count Basie and Jimi Hendrix at Monterey, not Jimmy at Woodstock, Jimmy at Monterey, that's the one. Um, my favorite Beatles album, I can tell you, is is Revolver. Yes. Uh, because that's, I think, the album where every version of the Beatles come together on one record. You can hear the mop tops, you can hear the 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 drugs and the psychedelia you can hear them inventing rock you can hear them beginning to invent metal i think they really invented metal with with helter skelter um you can hear the love songs the ballads the psychedelia george with spirituality george writing just really good pop songs um paul writing the most perfect love song ever uh with here there and everywhere john writing the best love song ever with uh in my life i i would have to say um it's hard to pick the greatest album of all time, but the greatest Beatles album is very much Revolver. And is the Beatles the greatest band of all time? Yes. So then that answers the question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know the greatest American band of all time. This is the debate we always have on my show, is what is the greatest American rock band? Uh, that's a tricky one. You realize how far behind England we are. Yeah. It's yeah. The top five bands are all British or Irish. But uh, but but um, I mean, some would say the Beach Boys studio, but the Beach Boys live kind of brings that down. I would say Velvet Underground, but that makes people think I'm trying to sell them drugs all the time. Uh, best American band is a trickier question. Yeah, I would say, you know, best. Uh, yeah. And the Beach Boys throughout the Beach Boys, even there's so much change there. If you're talking pet yeah. sounds. If Brian Wilson Beach Boys. Brian Wilson. And there's, I love Beach Boys. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. They're very different bands. Absolutely. One's a, cover, one's a cover act. Well, what, what would get your vote for the greatest album of all time? Blonde on Blonde. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's up there. I, I, I've i seen Bob Dylan live over 60 times. Wow. And um, I can't even begin to say my favorite album. I can say my favorite songs on every album. Blonde on Blonde was the first Dylan album that my wife liked. Okay. That, that's how powerful that was. I think that. You know, I have criteria, I think, when I'm thinking about favorite albums. And A is, like, listenability. How much can I listen to it without yeah. getting sick of it? And that one, it never gets old for me. You know, Pet Sounds is a great album. It's in, like, top five. But I can get sick of it if I, if I you know, there's times when I yeah. just want to skip past it and listen to something else. I agree. But I, and agree. I think it has to do with the nostalgia in the lyrics of Blonde on Blonde and... uh I can tell you places I've been when I've been listening to those songs yep. and not but everything does about that blonde on blonde. Also it, it, it is the nostalgia, but it still sounds cutting edge. Yeah. The fact they recorded it in Nashville is all the more remarkable because it still sounds like cutting edge rock as we know it being invented. Like, you know, to, to go on that tour with, with the Hawks as they became the band, get booed and called Judas then to release like a Rolling Stone and then to just throw everything at the wall creatively. The box set for that album is astonishing, by the way, from the bootleg series for Blonde on Blonde. And that thin, wild Mercury sound is what Bob called it. They were trying to get. Um, that was the first Bob Dylan album I ever bought myself. And I got it on cassette when I was a teenager. Nice. And it still blows my mind. Do you still have it in, on cassette? I, yes, I do. I still saved a few cassettes and that's one of them. I, I have a few, uh, and I don't currently have a working cassette player, but I would I love know. to have the Magnavox boombox that I had when I was a kid. I should look on eBay for this because you can get them. They're all over the place. That so I'm, I'm sound, trying to get my mom's boombox fixed. That, you know how they like people love vinyl audiophiles 
you know, and there's that's a, that's a constant debate. There is something about the cassette sound, and I'm I'm never going to argue that it's better. It's not better, but there's something about that sound, and I, it's probably nostalgia. That Thurston you just Moore can't. From Sonic Youth said he listens to everything on cassettes. That's his favorite wow. way of listening to music. So I get that. Yeah, but it's probably nostalgia based, right? He probably said like says that because that was maybe the most formative uh, medium in his yeah, career some, at that some time. Some guys just hate the convenience of random access. You know, you want to fast forward <laughs> and rewind to get to the song you want. Yeah. I, I sometimes I, I will admit when I'm listening to music on Spotify or whatever, there's a uh, there's a website called Vinyl Fied. And I'll get onto Vinyl Fied and all it does is adds a vinyl hiss to whatever you're listening to. <laughs> and there's something about it. I dig it. It's really so cool. it really makes you feel that way. Uh, well, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. You did. You. You, you went four for five. With an you asterisk, know, I, I went. I went three and a half for five. Yeah, there's an asterisk half. on the fourth one on, about the hippos the swimming. Hippo but uh, I encourage you: ask your friends. Can hippos swim? I really want to get more definitive answers on this. And uh, listen to John Fugel saying on Sirius XM Progress 127. Uh, that's every day from nine to twelve. Uh, yeah, we're on the nighttime or listen the next day on demand or on the SiriusXM app. And of course, uh, you can always listen to the John Fugelsang podcast, where we have a lot of authors and newsmakers and celebrities and musicians and artists. And we've had everybody from everybody from Julie Andrews to Tyler Perry, from Jeff Bridges to uh, Rizza from Wu-Tang Clan. Both of Paul McCartney's guitarists on his current tour uh, were on my show this week. We, we try to keep it interesting. Incredible. Everybody from Bernie Sanders to Chris Christie. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to listen to more. What a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. That's all for this week. Thanks to Patreon member Mitch for the show topic and to John Fugelsang for being my guest. Here's a small boy who replaced the last kid. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! The Internet Says It's True. I'd like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Sean Brown, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, and the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and additional music this week was from the Mini Vandals. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under fair use, Title 17, USC, Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent. <laughs>